Welcome back to another episode of The Juice Cast. Today we'll be talking with Peace Node. Peace is a poster maker, brand builder, and creative director at Seed Club. In this episode, we dive into Peace Node's background in design and the inspirations and process behind his work. He tells us about building Seed Club's brand and how humor and playful interventions can disrupt our expectations of interacting with a web page. We also touch on the latest friend tech craze, how on-chain media is social media, and why we need more dynamic means of exchange. This was a fun and laid-back conversation with Peace, who is one of our favorite accounts to follow these days. So we hope you enjoy this episode. All right, welcome, Peace. Welcome to the Juice Cast. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Amazing. Yeah, thanks for having me over. Doing super good. How are y'all? Very good. Yeah. Yeah, I remember catching up from like the last pod. That was like a long time ago. I mean, sometimes crypto feels like it went by in like a day and then other times it feels like it's like 10 years ago. It's like I was like, it was like forever ago. But I was thinking for some listeners that haven't listened to like the episode eight of the Juice Cast where we had you and Wacko Zacco. We talked about Lexicon Devils and Metaverse Architecture. I was thinking maybe we could get you to talk a little bit about your background and like sort of how you ended up in Web3 for those that hadn't already listened to that episode. Sure. Yeah. So I am a poster maker, artist, and a musician who was doing bands for many years. And along with doing bands comes like a lot of promotional work and creating collectibles and doing merchandise and just general fun things that people love doing around hobbies and passions that they have and creating ways to share that with other people. And so through that, there was like a ton of graphic needs. And after resisting for like many years, I was like, I got a cheap laptop and got a bunch of freeware. I was on like Inkscape and GIMP and I was like, we can make our own record covers. Like, yeah, I had a buddy from Feel It Records who had this person who would he would do offset printing on the center labels in this really funny way to where they just required SVG graphics. And that like blew my mind. I was like, the, f- the hell is an SVG? <laughs> and yeah, so that was actually how I ended up on Inkscape. And then from there, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, cool. Like vectors are amazing. I'm, I'm going to like print this as big as I can. And so I fell down that rabbit hole and started posting to Instagram and started falling into like... I guess like I didn't even know at the time, but it's like what people call the creator economy, like good old fashioned (laughs) classic 2015 creator economy. Like what a thing. But anyway, so that whole thing happened like everyone COVID brought my life to a screeching halt. I got Joe Biden's amazing stimmy and (laughs) someone on Instagram hit me up and was like, Hey, we can turn $300 into $3,000. I was like, geez, that is like, an offer. I, I mean, I, I can't afford not to. So I was like, well, how are you going to do this? They told me to go buy Bitcoin on Cash App. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, th- that was like right at the COVID crash. And so I bought Bitcoin and it pumped and my $300 turned into $370. And I was like, I'll never work a day in my life again. <laughs> like, why would I ever send someone Bitcoin? This stuff is amazing, right. which is really funny. But that like sent me down a media wormhole of all this information scouring YouTube and Reddit and 
truly just like the most vile sources of information that you could ever <laughs> find about crypto. But it was cool because I learned I learned a lot. I learned a lot and I started, you know, buying tokens and like getting into all kinds of fun stuff. And so then again, Instagram. Like it's like from probably 2009 to 2015 I, I lived on Craigslist and from 2015 to about 2020 I, I lived on Instagram mm. and I saw my friend Samsonite posting about data sovereignty I messaged him I was like dude you're totally into crypto what are you posting about this stuff on Instagram <laughs> for and he was like Joe cool we should talk and then we yeah we linked up he pulled me onto Twitter started following all these different people he pulled me into song camp actually he was like we're doing this thing we're like we're like into nfts but like we're all musicians like we want to do something here and, and samson i really introduced me to everyone and then i fell into this whole social scene and have been tumbling down the the way ever since i love that your entry point is well to some extent comes from the the poster making and I, I want to get back to that later and also thinking about how Instagram as a platform played like this big role in you building this kind of social graph, which then almost by like happenstance leads you to crypto through Samsonite. But I wonder if maybe we could talk about Seed Club and what you're working on there and, and then tie that back into the posters. So your job title, like creative director at Seed Club, very, you know, very fancy. But <laughs> what does this mean exactly? Like, what is your role at Seed Club and like, what are you working on on the day to day? Yeah, well, Seed Club is a tight crew. I am, you know, yeah, creative director is pretty funny, um, but they actually <laughs> do give me a lot of creative freedom in such that collectively we do a lot of narrative shaping and we do a lot of jamming on how to capture attention what would be fun for our community what would be a cool thing to go out and do that is enjoyable to interact with and accomplishes our mission of distribution and really supporting these founder networks in launching their projects and so, yeah, I'm, I'm the solo designer right now at C Club. And so I get to do all kinds of fun stuff from like marketing materials and into web design and really just trying to do and make as, as much as I can, because I think that the internet is a, a beautiful surface area to mark up. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the recent C Club graphics and animations feel like they refer to like vintage computing and like software ads or like maybe speakers or electronics more broadly. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about like the design inspiration behind your work. Yeah, we you pretty much nailed it. I think like <laughs> a lot of it is is tongue in cheek. No one likes marketing, right? Like it's lame. <laughs> like advertising is is like super lame, right? Kind of. It's kind of awesome too. Like I like truly wonder what we'll be nostalgic for in 30 years. I'm already surprised at what I'm nostalgic for and I think that I like to take inspiration from just like looking through old media to just see what the stories people used to tell, see how people were bringing products to market and there's like a certain tongue in cheekness to that style that is what is like internalized industry sarcasm or something <laughs> like that, which is like the tip that I'm on right now. And it's so some will say it's all cope, but it's like what is super fun to me. And when I flip through these old magazines, I just find it so inspiring what these people were making, both with analog materials and 
early versions of the software that we're using today, and it, it crushes my little heart to see it all sometimes. I'm curious, like, where are you finding these materials that you're referring to? Like, are, are you actually like looking at physical, like old magazines or, or, or books or catalogs, brochures, or are you finding them online or both? I'm just curious to know more about the process of digging through these materials and then how they're finding their way into the stuff that you're making now for C Club or other projects. Totally. Sometimes I do get real magazines. The only magazines right now that I own are the Whole Earth catalog, the Whole Earth for Kids. There's they had a, mm. you know coevolution. They have a bunch of spinouts, and so I have some of those, and I have some Italian cooking magazines. Ooh. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I'm not actually doing like a ton of Italian cooking or anything, but these things <laughs> are beautiful. And so mm. specifically from '96 to 02 is what I'm looking at in Italian cooking. And the truth is, though, I am not a librarian. I've been through that collecting phase of my life. It's so incredibly painful. I think it's really beautiful and really admire people who have good practices of that. But no, I I sold all my records. I sold all my books. I I donated my books. So I have have a couple little chat books and a couple magazines, and, and that's all I own. And I just leverage the shit out of archive.org and look at back catalogs of, of known magazines and do just random keyword searches and, and see what comes up and let the internet do its little chaos magic thing and like take you down a rabbit hole, etc. If you click, it leads the way, basically. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like the way that you're talking about getting rid of all the physical stuff, like getting rid of the magazines and the books. It makes me think a little bit of Steve Jobs, like iPod era, where he became this sort of messiah of bringing the MP3 file to the masses. But at home, he listened to vinyl. And so there, <laughs> there's this like funny dichotomy where at home, he was actually an audiophile and this big high-end audio guy, and he would only listen to records. But then this very famous product that he was, you know, not, not, obviously not only Steve Jobs responsible at that time for this broader idea of like bringing music to the masses in this digital way and how that ushered in all these other changes to the music industry. So I don't know, that's kind of like the opposite, I guess, of what you're describing where you're going more on this digital tip to like do a sort of like an archaeology of these materials rather than like hoarding them in person. I wonder, I mean, I just wonder, there's just like some practical things about it, you know, like you think Steve Jobs cleaned his own records or like cleaned (laughs) his own house and stuff. It's like, yeah, totally. The maintenance of life. It's a lot for me to take care of the maintenance of my body is kind of like uh, enough to keep me pretty well busy along with like doing these like too long a days designing. I'm like obsessed with making pictures and stuff. And I would just rather make stuff than clean the dust basically is where I'm at. One of the things that Matthew and I noticed about Sea Club is that it has like a very clear visual identity across different platforms and different media. It has a certain vibe. And when you interact with C-Club, this is one of the things that I think makes it stand out from many other crypto websites. So why do you think that brand is important for products and organizations? Like, why should we care about this as we build these new tools, infrastructure, products, et cetera, in crypto? This is a tough question. And like, am I going to, I'm going to give away my job or something like that? Could be. (laughs) I think that... Brand is like a really confusing thing. I mean, like, well, one, repetition is just super important, but sometimes repetition also isn't literal. 
a lot of what C Club does is change and evolve constantly. And that evolution is a consistent part of our experience. And hitting these different cultural reference points is a part of that consistency as well. And so for me, I just think that the internet moves incredibly fast and you can repeat something all day long and you can build out your brand marks and your brand colors and your brand type and you can do all these things and like depending on how you choose them likely in six months they're all going to be like incredibly out of fashion you're going to look like super lame again and you're going to have like wasted a bunch of time and energy making like all these micro decisions so it's like i think the c club strategy is like i am approaching it from the perspective of brand, but I'm approaching it from the perspective of a creator as well. And I think that actually products teaming up with creators is the right strategy. I think that looking at C-Club and thinking like, oh, we should be super stylish, like just like this person or looking at something cool and being like, if we just do it like that, it'll unlock the cheat code to success and we'll be sick. (laughs) But the real thing of it is which is like right in front of our faces is like connect with creators and like allow yourself to become a frame for interesting different strong voices that have brand alignment and portray the the best part of yourselves and that's like not that's not a difficult thing to do and that is something that you know jess and and josh have been really good about like that's like when i say we're like shaping narratives and like really working together it's like They're really good at letting me be super creative and fit into all these different ways. It takes all of us to really hold that together and hone in on maintaining the mission. Because if it was just me, I like we would be doing something really weird that we're like, (laughs) like not weird, good. Like I don't know what it would be. Weird, weird. We'd be back. We'd be back on Craigslist or something like that. And so it's like I need them to. They help bring you in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. To, To bring it back to like why is brand important. Brand is important because the impression that you leave on people is what they're going to think of you when you're out of the room. It's just that simple, you know? And so you really want to build an experience for someone that's, and that experience, you know, might be nice designs. It might be ease of use. It might, it might be like all different kinds of things, but like focusing on that experience and the way in which people relate to you is really, really the, I think the important thing to focus on. Also having fun, having fun. Yeah, we should always try and have a little bit of fun. Otherwise, we're going to take ourselves way too seriously. I remember seeing this tweet a while back when the Threads app just came out, like the Twitter killer from Meta. And this post talked about how the UI looked pretty much identical to all of the other Twitter apps, including Twitter itself. And sort of the conclusion that the author came to is that the UI was of Threads was so almost perfect or polished that it was boring and that that would actually work against it. And I think one of the fun things about going to the webpage for the event, which is the demo day that's coming up for the Consumer Crypto Accelerator, is that there were these really funny captures that you guys put into the flow. So like one asked you to identify who is BitBoy. <laughs> and it was like all these photos of Gabrielle Haynes. And another one asked, like, what kind of summer are you having? And, you know, on-chain summer. And another one was like, click a fidgetal object. And 
this sort of like tongue in cheek humor that you talked about, like what's nice about it is that, I mean, yes, it's funny, but it's also unexpected. It kind of is not the flow that you're expecting when you're talking about early stage founders and venture and all this type of stuff that can sometimes be a bit like self-important and serious. And then it kind of gives you a little jab of humor in there. So uh, I'm wondering, I don't know if you could just talk a little bit about those sort of interventions and the user experience and sort of what you're going for. Interventions and user experience is so awesome because it does remind me of, I never said his name out loud. Is it Chiron? Do you know who I'm talking about? Chiron? I'm not sure I do. K41RON? Well, it's so funny because they wrote this article called Crypto's Captcha Moment, and in it, they are talking about the regular flow for, you know, something that like verifies who you are, and et cetera. And they were cracking up because they like, you know, they responded to, to when we posted about the captchas. They were like, this is not the captcha moment I was talking about. But that interruption, <laughs> that interruption of delight that you're talking about is mm. a really fun thing. There's a feature I've been chasing. I saw someone post on Twitter about this YouTube feature where you can filter videos by color. So there was like a red, green, and bl- oh. like blue. And I, I haven't seen it. I've been like ferociously updating. <laughs> YouTube is the first app that I ever paid for, actually. I So... I've got my premium app. I got I upgraded. I got a family. I have a YouTube family now. I'm growing wow. up. You started a family. <laughs> but I, I don't have that feature of being able to search for like red, green, and blue. But man, the idea of that is so much fun and completely useless. And it's, <laughs> it's so awesome. And I really do think that people should be having fun like that with applications. I mean, you know, depending on the brand that you're trying to build, you know? Right. But I think ultimately that the internet is just designed for having your mind blown, period, point blank. And so if you're going to the internet, if you're building for the internet, mm. you should like include a single Easter egg that is a fun moment for people. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we're all people and we want, we want to laugh or be surprised or be like, oh, wait, what the hell? We want to have our minds blown. That's why we sign online in the first place yeah totally speaking of being online we recorded a podcast with jess sauce to talk about seat club's history vision and we also touched on like the consumer crypto accelerator and like the demo day coming up and like if you scroll down on the C club homepage, there's like the wallet posting section where you can mint like an open edition NFT for like the six accelerator thesis. And like one of the taglines, because there's like three little sections at the bottom written on angles. And one of the taglines reads, on-chain media is social media. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like what this means, like maybe unpack it a little bit. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess like where I'm sitting right now is just on these like really fundamental ideas about what is social. So I just think that media is communication. You don't communicate in a vacuum. So all media is social and money is a form of exchange and you can't exchange anything with yourself. And so all money is social. Mm -hmm. And both of those things, both media and money are just forms of communication. And so Although we, we treat them super differently, or they're like sequenced differently, both the money and the media get sequenced every which way to create all functions of society. It's really cool seeing these apps built on Ethereum 
where you can transfer tokens that store value and lists. And so all of a sudden you have like value and lists combined in one asset and you can pass those keys around to yeah different people. And that, that's a pretty interesting new thing. And we have some cool experiences around like what that means as far as, you know, what we've seen with, with NFTs and shit coins and, and everything. And I'm just excited about the different ways that we can bring those things together. To go back to my experience with Instagram, for instance, I didn't have a, a smartphone until 2015. Just like, that's probably pretty normal, you know, mm -hmm. but it like totally exploded my world open in this way where I was like, oh, okay, cool. I've got Instagram. I can like make something and share it with the world. And then I got like Venmo. And then eventually I graduated like PayPal. And then I was like, no DMs, email for commission. So like all of a sudden, yeah, I'm like using this, like all these different things in order to like talk and transfer money and transfer over these like digital assets for people to do God knows what, post them incorrectly. So I think it's going to be a really wild world when some of these things can fold in on themselves and we can create more dynamic social apps. I should say when we have social apps that have a more dynamic means of exchange. It's so funny. I don't know, 30 minutes before we sat down with you, Bradley was like, yeah, I saw this tweet by PeaceNet. We should talk about it. And it reads, we don't need less financial social apps. We need more dynamic means of exchange, which I think we can read it maybe like in the context of uh, like a friend tech moment that we're having right now, which has been really interesting to see it come to fruition and kind of emerge because it's been criticized as, as being overly financialized and this like weird mix of the personal and the financial. But I feel like you're on the flip side of that. I'm curious if you want to talk a little bit about how that whole thing has been unfolding. Sure. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not going on there and trading a ton. I bought some of my friend's keys and I like hopping in the little chat rooms and saying stuff. And I love seeing the feed, seeing people trade. I'm just like not that much of a trader in general. I kind of just like buying things with relatable metadata. And then I just like hold them. That's my like, that's the piece known trading strategy. Hold it to zero. So anyway, <laughs> I think that friend tech is really interesting because of the way that they, they do the fee structure. You know, we saw a lot of people came into this space in general being like, we have programmable money. These artists at Super Rare made a really good deal. And now 15% is the cultural norm for <laughs> secondary sales. And it's like, it's not true. It's not the way the infrastructure is actually built. And mm -hmm. so I think it's really cool that friend tech has this sort of like, walled garden, so to speak, where they have an internal marketplace and an internal fee structure. You can totally buy and sell your friend's keys. But like, what's more interesting about that to me is the fact that through that exchange, some of those fees are routed to people who are creating that liquidity. And it's a huge leap. It's like not, it's not a small thing, you know? So like Frantech is earning money and everyone on there who is spending money is like earning with some. And are they like earning more than they're spending? No, unless their bags are being pumped straight to Valhalla. But <laughs> that kind of fee structure does not exist in other places where we regularly transact, like on Kickstarter or Patreon or GoFundMe or any other money transfer app where people can like 
rally around an idea. I think Frentech overall is is kind of a flat experience, but it's like the seed. It's an amazing MVP. Yeah, it's an amazing MVP. Yeah, it's definitely unlocking something new that we haven't seen in this space before. I was wondering if we could take a step back from Frentech and talk about on-chain experiences more broadly. I'm wondering if what some of your favorite on-chain experiences are that you've had so far, what stands out in your wallet, or if it's like the minting experience of something. I remember for one of mine, I remember there's this NFT collection called Ravers. Just to mint it, you go into like this warehouse and you can hear like the music like thumping. You go up to the DJ and you go up to like this other guy and you like collect this character. It's like generated for you. And then you can actually like go to this other guy that's on like the other side of the wall. He's kind of standing against the wall a bit closed off and kind of looks like someone that you would go up to like if you were gonna go buy some drugs and then you like get to mint like ecstasy or whatever. And like, it just felt like such a accurate feeling of what it's like when you have those experiences in real life, but then you got to experience it in like a virtual way. And I have like a huge relationship with electronic music. I, I really enjoy that scene in like the physical world. So it's really cool to see that happen in like my on-chain world. So anyways, that's like one of my experiences, but I was wondering if you had anything that was memorable, whether that was minting or some other on-chain experience that you wanted to share. That's sick. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's my buddy JGAP who made that. And yeah, he's got a new record coming out, a new TFX record on his label. Joker's got a posse. So that'll be cool to see. That project was sick as fuck. My favorite minting experience, yeah, is still Heaven Computer. That was like the first one where I just like was jaw dropped on the floor on this website, heaven.computer. And I was like reading about like on-chain divination. And I was like, what in the actual fuck is this thing? And like, (laughs) yeah, everything from the boot screen to like the God Observer and like all these little mysteries and clues. I was like, this is probably like the funnest way that you could be making a website and offering a collecting experience for people who are into crypto, you know? Because like at the time when I was minting that, I was like still into some DeFi nonsense. So it's like, (laughs) it was like really normal to like go, you know, in Telegram, see all this buzz and like hear about this thing, this token. And you go to the website and you're like reading all about it. You're like, what is it? And, you know, I think a lot of us probably were approaching NFTs at that time with a a similar like mindset just because that was our patterned behavior. And so having computer broke the shit out of that pattern and shattered my mind. And introduced this idea around on-chain divination where a seed was created from my wallet and distorted the token in some kind of way. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like I can bring this key that I own, which is like my identity, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I could actually affect this like thing in which I'm like getting. And that was such a meaningful moment for me. How do you see like on-chain identity fitting into like your everyday life? Why do you think that on-chain experiences and on-chain media is important in relation to our identity i don't know i mean it's like there's so much like grandiose talk about this why is a twitter bio good the twitter bio isn't really like a radical technological innovation or anything like that but it's mine and it's like (laughs) the same thing with on-chain identity you know it's just a list it's a list like all the other lists but it's my list And I get to affect it. And that is really meaningful to me. And it's like the same reason, like, why do people love trinkets and tchotchkes and all these things? And that sounds so reductive. 
except that we're talking about like sentimental value. And when you like steward something and you take care of something, like there's a real responsibility of ownership to managing private keys on the internet. And when you do that and you go through that effort and you see other people who are values aligned with you and you see that they're offering you, little old you, a game piece from their amazing world, then you can own it and technically you could program it to be a part of your world or a part of this other world that you really love and you could do all these different things and so it's like an awesome daydream and there's like little moments when it becomes real and then it explodes and then but you always have your transaction history and it's really a super fun and cool thing i wonder if we could talk a bit about twitter and posting I feel like you're very good at posting random bullshit on Twitter. And I do not think that everyone is very good at it. I think that it's a a surprisingly rare skill. And I don't even know if one can put into words exactly how you go about that. But I know that maybe this sounds like a stupid question. Like, what are you up to on there? Because it's this great mix of valuable insights, but then you're also just having fun and posting random bullshit. So I'm just curious if you can tell us a little bit about this voice. Like, who is this peace note on Twitter? Like, what is this hologram that you're creating? Totally. I mean, I, I've i had my mind blown. That's it. I reached my 10,000 hours online. <laughs> Surely it's got to be more than that. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot more than that. The truth is, is I'm just not <laughs> thinking about strategy or anything. I am like most people, and I have like a horrible time managing my attention. And like, along with that, I have like an unapologetic optimism about the world and it makes me feel like really enthusiastic. Like a lot of people like talk about like doom scrolling and stuff. I just like don't believe in that. I enjoy it too much. Even if I'm like hate scrolling, I'm like, oh God, the fuel. It's beautiful. (laughs) Like I just want to soak it all in. Yeah, I truly am just reacting. I'm not thinking I do post some stuff and I'm like, why did I say that? It's like, not that smart. It's not that well thought out. It's like really stupid. And yeah, maybe I should write an idea down and then I can go back later and refine it to say what I really want to say. But I don't know if I want to get into like a content strategy. I kind of just want to keep reacting to the world. And sometimes I take myself too seriously. And well, at different times, I've definitely done that. And right now I'm in a really playful mood and it's helped me maybe see the forest for the trees. And that saying is really confusing to me because I I actually don't know if we should be observing the forest or if we should be observing the trees. (laughs) But I'm somewhere in the middle of both. That's like the ADX salvia (laughs) ketamine. You're like, where am I standing in the room right now? I can't tell. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate your like optimism when it comes up on my timeline because like market sentiment is psychotic. We're so fucking over. It's so back. Always up and down and Generally, I would say that Discord servers are feeling a little dead these days. Twitter is falling apart and full of bots. Our social lives feel like they're becoming more fragmented online. Where do you see yourself hanging out with friends on the internet? Like, where have you been finding community in the bear? Oh, man. (laughs) I'm on just like 24-7 with the Song Camp crew and Seed Club. Those guys really are, are my buddies and my timeline. I love the damn for you page. That's where I'm finding community, just responding to people and being in conversation. And like, you know, I'm sure I'm a pest. Some people are like, oh, this guy's like still commenting on my page. Like, fuck. 
this fucking peace guy. I know. <laughs> yeah, online, I mean, that's where I'm socializing. Every now and then, I like to pop into the All-Stars Discord, the Ask Golira channel, super cool. Their alpha channel's super good, too. Every now and then, I, I still pop into the Heaven computer server and always love Juicebox and have been talking to Django who's like also working on this idea of RevNets. And I just think the crew has got some really, really great thoughts on how to wire the thing up, all the ins and outs and everything. I don't think there is such a thing as like a good place to find community. I think you should talk to random people and hopefully you'll meet someone good. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like the internet's too weird for me. Some people love the introduction channels, but like, I don't want to meet someone from an introduction channel. No shade. <laughs> To anyone. I've done it. For I've sure. been in there too. And I'll like go to the introduction channel and meet it. But it's like so hammy to me. It's like I just like want to be in conversation. And then sometimes you like sync up with someone and you're like, oh, okay. Like either we keep butting heads or like we keep clicking, but like either way, we're like still here in the same way. And that is what really makes me feel like super connected to people. Interesting that you bring up the Revnet experiment with Django. So basically, the way that you're contributing to that project, from what I understand, is UI design. And I'm kind of curious, going back to this background of yours in, in posters and this kind of form of mimetic advertising, or I don't know what to call posters, but there's something like that. Did you ever see yourself doing UI design? Because I don't know if you've had this experience, but like, Bradley and I don't come from a tech background, and now we're working in what we loosely call tech. And uh, I wonder if you ever thought that you would be going, you know, at that time when you were making those posters, did you ever think that you would be designing websites and thinking about software and web pages and, and this kind of thing? Like, do you see this as some kind of interesting, like extension of the poster making as like a, a marketing vehicle, but just for a different application? Or I'm just curious to hear your thoughts about now doing this type of work. To be honest, when I first got Figma, that's kind of what I thought a little bit. I was like, oh, I can make a cool graphic so I can make like a cool website. And like, why do websites always look like this, that, and the third? Actually, it's just a totally different part of my brain. And like the ways in which I've been working with them on RevNets is really just like, ooh, <laughs> I've never said this out loud either. Aeo Aeolian? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it's like, you know, seeing the stuff that they've built and then I just have been putting it into like some clean app language basically and passing some of that stuff back and forth and sharing my opinions on like what I as a consumer would be looking for in a product like that, you know. And a lot of the app language that I use is super conventional stuff that we know from Apple and YouTube and just like the normal stuff and it because it's actually a totally different part of the brain in my mind at least when I'm thinking about building that stuff in a way that is like actually useful and it's like a lot of boxes and boxes aren't bad <laughs> because the really the important thing is understanding the information that you're interacting with because it's valuable yeah it's funny how matthew brought up marketing vehicles this is kind of like an aside but like you bringing up your entry point being like craigslist because matthew and i are for whatever reason, regularly selling stuff <laughs> on Facebook Marketplace. We did like this whole cleanup when I moved in like a year ago and we'll go through stuff and be like, okay, like I don't need this. Like maybe I can sell this to someone else. Every time we do that, usually people come in to like look at the object or you know, whatever it is. And then they look at the desk here and they're like, oh, you guys got microphones. Like, do you guys have like a podcast or something? And then we're like, 
yeah yeah we have a podcast but like it's it's about like crypto like i don't know if you're into it and they're like oh like they're like curious somehow and so i don't know how many times we've sold objects but every single time we end up talking about the juice cast and people were like yeah it's called the juice cast and they're like oh juice cast like cool i've never heard of it and then like it becomes like this weird way of telling people about this podcast that they would have otherwise probably never heard about it's such a niche within a niche and then we're like yeah you know it's just funny how like that is an unintentional marketing vehicle that uses marketplaces hell yeah it is <laughs> that's why all those shit coins are sending vitalic tokens you know they're like get up in the transaction history like maybe someone will see while they cruise <laughs> through totally funny i um never got on facebook marketplace i haven't been trading stuff like that for a while i was like really into buying shitty cars and selling shitty cars <laughs> oh, yeah? not to make money just like it's one of those times in life you know, i don't know if you, you have like a high turnover rate of vehicles i had a, a good many years like that and so that was always a lot of fun and trying to scheme and dream different ways in which i could make things work and yeah always fun looking on there yeah I, i'm not particularly fond of facebook marketplace but craigslist is not used as much where we are like, I, I guess there's just different marketplaces that are more common like there's a app called kijiji that is more commonly used in canada for whatever reason there was a period of time, though, like a few years ago, I remember Montreal was actually really well known for its Craigslist misconnections culture. Like there was a big thing in Montreal about misconnections. Like this was just something that apparently was a big thing here. But unfortunately, now Craigslist seems to be not as commonly used and a lot of stuff goes through Marketplace. Like we've gotten most of our furniture on Marketplace for whatever reason. We just happen to <laughs> find everything on Marketplace. It's the only thing I use Facebook for. Obviously, I'm not using the Boomer app for anything else, but it is useful for buying like a table. So <laughs> there's that. I should like sign up just to see the screens. I'm curious what it looks like. Yeah, it's super bland, you know. Bland might be good. It's all about the usability. Like you guys are turning <laughs> stuff over on there. So must be must be useful. Yeah, it's definitely more active and I think from like a safety point of view, like the fact that you can see someone's profile, like can help affirm like whether or not this is like a legitimate offer that you're receiving or if it's something that you're interested in. You can kind of get a sense if it's like a fake account or not, because like there are scams on there as well. So now we're talking on chain social. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I guess I, I made maybe some weird assumptions, you know, about how people were using ENS. I think a lot of people maybe were just using it to signal their support for ETH or something like that. But I really believed that we were using those addresses to like transparently share who we are and what we're holding like on public spaces. So I, I actually think it's like, it should be expected that you should share your address on Twitter. I think it's like kind of whack to not have your address on Twitter, or at least be like trying to cultivate or build like some kind of reputation for yourself on chain, like people, and maybe I'm speaking from a point of privilege or something that I'm not seeing, you know, but it's like, there's like a lot of places who are looking for contributors, a lot of places will pay in tokens. Yeah, that's like, not always great. But if you like, really care about building the reputation, what can you buy? What can, what can you work for? What can you hold? Like, how can you create some kind of something? We don't really need in my opinion, like you don't really need anything other than like token metadata. And like, you know, if there's not enough, like you could go mint some and then put that in your in your wallet too, you know, like there's a lot of different things you can do to like utilize these things as profiles and like 
it bums me out to not see it happen as much, but I really appreciate when people do have their address up. And I really just truly would never work with anyone without seeing their address ever. You also have a very funny display name on Twitter where instead of peacenow.eth, you've got the full <laughs> fucking long 0x address, which is funny. I remember uh, a couple years ago, like I think Dame minted a .eth, but it was just the full <laughs> 0x address and it was a great troll. It is a good troll. Me wearing my address is my username. It's my cheeky way of doing that. I'm not a huge fan of being this. I really like the product. I really like the way it that its usability has evolved. The name wrapper thing is kind of interesting. Instead of you owning it and managing it, it like gives you a wrapper, a 1511 wrapper right away. Oh, that's an interesting way of doing it. Product is useful. It's really cheap and love seeing it out there. Yeah, they just redid their whole UI and it's a lot smoother than it used to be for sure. That was probably the first dApp that I ever interacted with or certainly one of the first along with Uniswap. I feel like that was the first step if you were going to be a participant on crypto Twitter. It's like you had to have a .eth address. And so that was one of the first things, hopefully, that you would do. And then ironically, I mean, that was also how I got my first airdrop. And so I could probably look back and think of ENS as one of the things that red-pilled me on crypto in some ways because it actually got me involved and made me a participant in some way and then gave me tokens a few months later, which was pure luck in retrospect, but was definitely meaningful, I'm sure, for a lot of people at that time because it was, you know, a pretty major airdrop. Yeah, ENS is great. Wild time. Well, thank you so much, Peace. It's been super fun to catch up and learn more about your design practice and everything that you're working on. It's always good to chat with you and we'll see you on chain. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, you're both brilliant. It's been super fun talking and thanks for having me over. Thank you so much. Peace. <laughs>